Targeting is arguably the most important part of a campaign. One of the things I always said is a shitty campaign targeted to the right people will outperform a great campaign targeted to the wrong people. And there are an infinite number of ways to build your audiences. So in today's episode, we're going to talk all about how to absolutely nail your campaign targeting. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. All right. Hello again, everybody. Another episode of Demand Gen U. And like I said in the opener, we're going to talk all about targeting. Um, we're going to start where everybody should start, which is defining who your ideal customer profile is. Um, uh, everybody so, should start, but, but usually doesn't start or spends way too little time on and then rushes the rest. <laughs> so yeah, there's a huge, huge, uh, distinction that I think we need to make. Exactly. Um, so when you're thinking about targeting, I mean, it's a big topic, right? So we're going to, we're not going to hit on every aspect we possibly could, but you know, if you're, I mean, if you're thinking about targeting and you're thinking about doing targeting, well, you have to know who to target and to really get narrow, narrow, narrow on that. So, I mean, the ultimate goal is that you're not wasting ad spend dollars. You know what I mean? That you're really not getting in front of people that really have no use, you know what I mean? For your product or, you know, it's not a good fit for your product. And so let's talk a little bit about like, how do we get clear on our ICP? So Mark, when you do it, how do you start? Yep. So I think in an ideal world, you would be looking at actual data in Salesforce and beginning to see which accounts do you have that you'd consider to be your best fit accounts. Uh, the longer that you can look back, you know, let's say six months versus 12 months versus anything longer than that and begin to identify what those attributes are for your best fit accounts. I typically start there. And then once you have the data, I would go to your sales team and start to vet, you know, Hey, do you think these are the right attributes that we should be targeting? And that's strictly from a firmographic level, because I think that's the easiest place to start. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So, you know, some of the easiest ways to define your customer profile, uh, you know, you start at the account level, right? Cause you're really trying to sell to an account. Um, you're trying to sell to a business. There's people in that business that you're going to sell to, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So it's like, what kind of accounts are going to have the most success using your platform or product or service? And so Mark mentioned firmographic stuff. So you're looking at like industry is the most, like that's the basic one that everybody really kind of yeah. starts with usually. And like usually, like, there are a lot of solutions out there that are multi-industry, and there's some that like this is very specific to like this industry, and so that's why a lot of people start there. And oftentimes too, like we're in B two B, and so there are very B two B specific industries. It's not super clear. There's bleed over, of course, and then there are B two C industries. And so as a B two B marketer, you start with like, okay, what are the B two B industries? And that's really usually a good place to start. I also have been burned by using different industry classifications from whatever the data sources are. No data source uses the same industry classification. So it's very easy yep. to go crazy when you start using different industries from different uh, uh, tools. So I usually try to pick one data source as the primary industry and just rely on that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, some sources are like, primary industry, secondary industry, primary and sub of the primary <laughs> industry. And you're just like, it's brutal. And I, yeah, I was looking at one the other day and it was like the primary and sub industry seems so unrelated to this one company. I was just like, 
how is that their secondary industry? It's like, doesn't even make sense. And so they're right. Yep. The data sources can be a little wonky. I think Mark said something important, which is I try and use the same data source and that's for the normalization of the data. And so like, it's hard to make any insights, assumptions about your data, unless it's normalized, which just means like there's a specific set of values in there you're looking at. So for like the yep. easiest one is when you're talking about company name, you know, you're like, well, is it metadata or metadata Inc? You know what I mean? You want, you want to normalize it onto something. Use and company so domain. If you take one thing <laughs> yeah, away yeah. from this, use company <laughs> domain. Yes, exactly. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a good one. Actually, we'll talk about too, probably. Um, so industry. Then you got yeah. other things like company size, and you can look at company size by number of employees or by annual revenue. And I think what I've found in that data is the employee count data seems to be more readily available so than annual revenue. And that kind of makes sense, right? Because you think about all these private companies, you know, a yep. lot of private companies aren't filing, you know, annual publicly available reports, all that stuff. And so it's like, um, and in fact, what I've seen is a lot of data sources around annual revenue, they're inferring it. They're actually guessing what it is. Um, and I don't know how they guess it, but, you know, it's like... Uh, uh, they usually guess fairly poorly, too, for the private companies. <laughs> you know, some are within reason and some are way off. So if you're relying on that, uh, I think the other thing, just uh, to interrupt, sorry for a sec, you, depending on the data source that you're using, you potentially may miss out on a ton of companies that could fit your ICP if you're relying on annual revenue because many of them don't have that information and it will be a null value. Yep, yep. yep. And you're not including those because you want a certain value. And so, oh man, that's happened so many times where, and it can happen so many times where you're just like, you're missing a data point, but you're like, I don't know, they could be good. You know what I mean? They could be a fit yep. and you don't want to leave anybody out. And so, yep. yeah, that's always an interesting one. And that happens everywhere. Um, unfortunately, there's always missing data. Like there's no data source that has like this data point for every single company, you know, on the, on the planet. And so, uh, so that is a challenge um, for sure. So there's size, industry. Uh, what are some of the, oh, about technographics. I mean, geo, geo is, is easy. Geo. Yeah, geo, geo. I, oh yeah, I would geo's say, like where you really start. That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah. You usually start with geo, honestly. And yeah. then yeah. I would, we'll get to that here in a bit, but I look at technographic data as being almost its own category, uh, just because you can start to layer those on as attributes to the firmographic attributes that you're using. But uh, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure we run any just pure firmographic audiences without layering things on. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess it's partly your business. So like if you had a business where you had a product that was just complementary to Salesforce or complementary to like another main product, then maybe you would use Firmographic as one of your primary, like the company has to have this technology really for us to, to yep. succeed there. But yeah, I think it's more limited than it's less than 50%, like much less, I think. Probably, <laughs> Cool. So what other standard, we'll talk about some like non-standard ones, but what other standard company ones are there? I'm going to cheat here and uh, I'm going to look at our uh, audiences right now and we'll see if we're nice. missing any. So this is how you know we're doing this in real time and we didn't do as much homework as we should have before we recorded the episode. So work with us. Uh, we don't know all this. this, 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 top this yeah, it's like, that's the, this week that's has been point. a week. <laughs> I can't, I mean, I'm trying to think of the ones that I use. Those are really the, like the standard ones. Those are really the, the main ones. You know what I mean? Like the firmographic stuff, the size, the location. I mean, I think that's pretty, that's, those are. Yep. Uh, yeah. yep. I think we're good there. And I forgot that the, uh, 
the target account list that we have, the file is so large that it usually crashes my computer. <laughs> so let's hope that this is good. Um, yeah, because I think looking at this right now, uh, all of the other attributes that we have in here come from different data sources, and we'll talk uh, about how you can use different data sources and why you should use them so you're not just relying on a single data source. Well, you know, one of the things we didn't really talk about is how do you analyze your data? You know what I mean? So, like, you've got all this data. Like, what are you looking for? So I think some of those things, when you're trying to define your best fit customers that you already have, so when you're doing that, you're looking for spend, right? So like how much did they spend? Did they spend more than the average person? Did they renew? Um, maybe when you're early on though, you're like, how fast did they go through the sales cycle? You know what I mean? So like you're looking for people that can might, you know, so you're looking at this, you got this other first party data that you have access to about those deals that you can use to then define your best fit customers. And so, um, so oftentimes, yeah, you're looking at revenue, revenue growth, uh, product growth, are they you know, buying other products, renewal rates, probably already said that. Um, what, else are I would you, say, what else are you? I would say it's, it's more of on the qualitative side, but it's which uh, you know, industries, if you will, do you have the strongest proof points, whether it's case studies or social mm. proof or testimonials, uh, yeah. because that reinforces everything you're doing a whole lot more than you just trying to market or sell that to the company that you're going after. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that you need to do as you're defining your ICP, so you could get maniacal about defining the ICP and then all of a sudden you're like, we can only sell to software companies with 800 people in the in California. You know what I mean? So, like, you don't want to, you, you want it to be a balance of, like, let's not try and, like, the absolute best customers and there's two examples. You know what I mean? It's like, what's that general, you know, you probably want it to represent, I don't know, what percent of your customer base? Like, at least 10 no, more than that. If you're selling correctly, it should probably like be 50% of your customer base kind of should fall into the, yeah, that ICP. I'd say probably, um, eh, I don't know. I don't think there's an exact answer, but I'd yeah. probably say like a 60, 70 to maybe 30 yeah, split. maybe even more. Yeah. And as um, you can tell, we're not math majors. We didn't add those numbers up to 100%, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So we've got, how do you figure out who yours is? Kind of did that backwards. How do you then, you know, what other data sources can you use to define your ICP? We didn't talk about the people. So we got the companies now. And so, yeah, companies are going to, you're a B2B, so you're we selling got, the company. We got, we got the people. We got uh, actual technographic data that we didn't get to. And then we got the creative ways of, you know, yeah. doing stuff that uh, <laughs> every one of your competitors is probably not doing. So those are usually the best things. Yeah. So from the people standpoint, I mean, it's really pretty basic. You're looking at titles, right? Like maybe job function and seniority, but for the most part, you're trying to find the titles who are the primary contacts, maybe the primary users. And this is when you're thinking about targeting. This is where you start to like figure out your strategy and how you want to message differently to different people within the organization, right? So like you got your ICP on the company. Great. Now I've got all these people in the company that need to hear different things from me to understand the value of my product for them. You know, so I've got stuff that needs to go to the C-suite. I've got stuff that maybe needs to go to the VPs, potential users. And so now you start to like segment out the ICP in that way, you know, um, but you really want to focus on the buyers too. You know what I mean? Like you want to make sure that the buyers, like the actual buyer persona, the VP of marketing, marketing ops director, whoever that is, um, gets, gets a good amount of focus. 
Oh, for sure. But the one audience that I would not forget, and it's one that we target as well, is is finance uh, because <laughs> yeah. they are the ones who are usually poking holes in whatever spend or purchase you're trying to get through the door anyways. So if you have really strong quantifiable results that you can use to get the CFO to nod and say, yes, this is a good investment, you know, don't be sh- too shy and, you know, be afraid to waste, uh, not waste, but spend money on those audiences yeah. too. Yep. And that's, that's one of those where you'll never understand the attribution, but just think about it. You know what I mean? Like it's common sense. If you, exactly. It's like the, the psychology works, you know, um, if you've seen something before, you're more likely to trust it, even if you've just seen it, you know what I mean? And so that's really what you're trying to play up there. Um, I had another thought, but it just left my mind. So we'll go to the next point. So that was people. And then we talk about, techno, let's do technographic next. Cool. Um, you start on that one. Yep. So I think what we've tried to do is we've tried to, you know, we're consistently refining our ICP and we'll get into that in the, you know, kind of lesson part of this, of how we're actually doing that right now. And just finished up a little analysis project on that. But what we try to do is look at which technologies and sometimes complementary technologies are our customers using that make them really good fits for metadata. And you can take the same approach for your own companies that you're going after too. So for us, you know, we're looking at CRM, we're looking at marketing automation platform, we're looking at um, any sort of, I would just say marketing technologies that uh, imply that experimentation, analytics, um, optimization, like kind of just building very analytically, you know, driven experiences would lead us to believe that, okay, they could be a good fit for us because they get it. They're already thinking that way. So I think the short answer is look at complementary technologies. There's, you know, built with is probably the easiest way to go about it. Uh, And I would say cheapest maybe because some of the data providers are (laughs) much, 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 much more expensive uh, than that. But you can very easily find the technologies that they're using. Again, I would say it's directional. It's not perfect, but it at least gives you an idea uh, and it's moving you away from a single data source. Yeah, the one thing we haven't felt quite confident enough in yet is using that to then build a campaign that says, so you're a user of blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't quite trust it that much. You can maybe infer and like lead up to it, but yeah. Um, Well, we're marketers. Like if you were to go into our Google tag manager right now, you would see old (laughs) tags too. And we don't run a, you know, perfect shop there. So for the technographic data, it's good to have. Don't interpret it as 100% fact. Use it directionally and make sure that you're using it in the first place. And the other thing, the other thing you can do with that data, let's say it's, let's say you're not even using that data to target. It's still good to have that data in your platform because, or like in associated with the account, because what that does is the sales rep then has something to talk about sometimes too. So it's like, um, oh, maybe I'm not using it in my targeting, but Hey, by the way, sales rep, here are all your accounts. And here are the ones that are using our competitive products. You know what I mean? And which competitive product they're using. And so oftentimes that can just be like a nice additional enrichment, you know what I mean? To where like either sales outbounding or they've got a lead and now they have something to say like, oh, by the way. Oh, for sure. Because it informs their pitch really at the end of the day and the messaging that they're using. You may tailor it a little bit differently depending on the tools that people are already using. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, and then the last source of data that we were talking about is like more unique ones, right? 
Yes, but I just realized that we forgot one and we still need to talk about intent. So we'll oh, talk about of course. Uh, it's kind of a big one. So maybe we talk about that first. <laughs> yeah, the interesting yes. The interesting thing about I was just thinking about this too, is intent is like when you're building your ICP, intent is a time it's time bound, right? So like you have intent for a certain amount of time. So if I were to look at my ICP accounts right now who are already customers, sorry, like, you know, trying to define my ICP and I'm just looking at my customers. If I try and run them through intent, they should not have intent. You know what I mean? For my product right now, because they're using it, you know? So, so intent is a weird thing. You just have to kind of know which intent sources would be good for you to use and just acknowledge that like, okay, this is going to be a source of data. Again, not hundred percent accurate, but directionally like, okay, most of these companies are probably researching in the way that like the intent data says they are. Yeah, and I would say if you have the luxury, too, of not relying on a single intent data source, uh, just because some of them are better than others in their own ways. So we try to blend a, a few of those uh, just to make sure that we're not relying too heavily on a single intent source. Yep. Can we talk about some of our favorite sources or should we not? <laughs> sure. No one paid us to say this, but go right ahead. <laughs> I love G2's intent data. So I will be, because for me, all the other standard intent, like your Bomboras and like probably your Zoom infos, those intents are based on like a pretty thin line between publications and journals and blogs that people are reading and what they're actually in market for. So they're inferring a lot, you know, like, oh, they read this blog about this. So they're in the market for this. And I see a surge in the company from this, blah, blah, blah. The G2 data, though, is so clear. It's like this company was on your profile page or this company was on the like compared you with a competitor this pro this this company somebody from this company was on a competitor page and g2 literally gives you that level of information and so that's why i love it because g2 is pretty ubiquitous now you know most people probably go there even if they don't fully trust it they're probably going to go to at least get a sense like a yelp sense you know what i mean of like what people are saying um and it's direct. You know what I mean? It's not like G2 is not inferring anything. You know what I mean? They're just saying, hey, this is what happened. These are the numbers of like people from that company that were on one of these pages. And so that's why I really I really like that intent data. And well, I've used it, and it's actually increased the performance of some of our conversation ads. Well, let's use a kind of a funny example, but it's common sense at the end of the day. If you click on some content syndication ad that takes you to some horrific ebook, and we hate ebooks uh or at least i do i'll die in that hill as i can't remember one that i've downloaded and loved is that actual intent or if you're looking right. at a g2 profile and going you know through many customer reviews and even setting up a comparison review between metadata versus you know terminus or demand base or six cents whatever it may be there's a whole lot more intent there than you you know <laughs> looking to see some 50 page ebook that's filled with fluff and there's nothing actually in it yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Let's That's do intent creative data. Ways. Yeah. Creative ways. Okay. So we've got, we try and get creative with how we do things here. Because again, you know, all the sources we've talked about so far, guess what? Everybody has access to those. Your competitors do. It's a very, very available source of data. Uh, it's not super expensive. Some are more expensive than others, of course. But so like, if you really want to get a competitive advantage with targeting, you kind of have to find unique sources of data that explain or, you know, lead to like, this should be somebody in our ICP. And we've got two examples here of what we do. I'll talk about one of them. Uh, or maybe we'll talk about both, but 
Well, so we're talking about both, and you'll see why on this podcast, if you keep listening, we have no problem sharing what we're doing. We're big believers of building in public. There's a whole lot of discipline and execution that goes into this, so we're going to share a lot here, and we have no issue with it. <laughs> nope. It's the Tesla model. We're going to open source all of our content, and I'm like, yeah, everybody go build it. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the first one is... For us, this is for us specifically, right? We sell a, an advertising, let's say, let's have an advertising platform solution. Um, and we help some of our customers advertise on LinkedIn and Facebook, let's say. So for us, it's like, well, guess the best customers for us are people who are already advertising on one of those two platforms because they already at least see some of the benefit. They're already trying it out. And so we can likely help them. And that's a good place to start because not every B2B company is advertising. And even if they are, not all of them are advertising on LinkedIn, for example. So one of the things we did is we, we built a program to go and look on LinkedIn to see how many ads a company had loaded up on LinkedIn and use it as a proxy that doesn't tell you like their spend or like what, if it's even live right now. So literally it's just a list of all the ads they've ever loaded up on LinkedIn. And for those that don't know, you can go to a company profile on LinkedIn and, and Facebook as well. And you click on posts and you can actually go to ads and the yep. ads that they're running are right there. Yep. Publicly available, easy to find. And you can do it on Facebook as well. It's a little different process to get to yep. it on Facebook, but yeah, both, both you can get to it easily. And so it was like, well, if they have a lot of ads, they probably spend a lot of money on LinkedIn. So we go and we just collect the number of ads that companies have loaded up on LinkedIn. And we use that as a data source in our targeting. And so for us, that's been great because there are, there are so many, and this was a surprise to me, there are a ton of B2B companies that don't advertise on LinkedIn still, um, which is a surprise to me. And so um, what we don't want to do, we don't want to talk people into advertising on LinkedIn. So like, that's, that's a hard job. We'll do that sometime in the future. Way tougher sell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to find people who already are that know the, at least the value. And they're like, we can now turn that up and amplify it and like, you know, push the envelope for them. And so that's why that's a great source for us. Um, the other interesting one is if you know, so like G2, right? G2 has all these categories and you're a part of category, you're a part of one or multiple categories. Well, what if you knew that one of your competitors was using a certain platform to like make a lot of money and be really efficient with their whatever it is? You might want to like lean into that and figure out who, what, what is that platform that my competitor is using and like getting all these leads or whatever, you know, it is they're doing with that platform. So with G2, if you can figure out how to go to a category on G2 where your customers are and then look at all the other companies in their same category, that's another way to build a target list. So now I'm like, oh, hey, by the way, company A, did you know that your competitor company B over here uses us? And man, they're doing a lot of great things. You might want to check us out. And so you can like build targeted campaigns and personalized campaigns that way too. So I love that source of data as well. Uh, are you on G2's payroll? Because it sure sounded like it. Between those two <laughs> He's not. I know. No, I'm not. Actually, that is true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. G2 love-hate relationship, but mostly love. Um, so yeah. So, and you know, the, the main point here isn't these specific things we're talking about. Like this is not going to be valuable for most companies, right? Number of LinkedIn ads, not going to be valuable for a company like Mutiny. Right. So, but what I'm, what we're really trying to say is 
you have the capability to go out and find and create your own first party data source. It was really a third party data source, honestly, but you don't have to just rely on what is available out there to buy. Um, and really the best way into it is to really understand like, what's that data point that all of our customers, you know, like if I had this, I would really know if they were a good fit for our company and then go figure out how to get that. Sounds easier than it is, but <laughs> just go it, get it. I mean, just go get it. it's there's, I guess here's the thing we, we can definitely say. We spend a whole lot more time up front on the targeting, whether it's our ICP or whether it's a, our account list, because everything else that follows, you can get by, not to say that we're shooting for a low bar, with very poor execution for everything after that. And if you have really good targeting in place, you still put yourself in a good position that everything else is going to land. If you don't have good targeting and you spend as much time as you can on everything else afterwards, you're not giving your chance or like yourself any chance at all, you know, to get in front of the right people. So that's why yeah. we try and spend as much time as we can up front to make sure that the targeting is laser focused. Yeah, that's a great point. Cause you know, we kind of started this episode off, like targeting is arguably the most important part of your campaign, you know? Um, and I think it's clear, like, you know, one of the things we didn't hit on is what if you don't know your ICP yet? You're just starting out and you're like, I've got three customers, you know, and they're all swap deals that like from friends of mine from college, you know? So like, and you're just like, I don't, who is my ICP? Um, how do you, how do you start if that's, if that's the scenario you're in right now, which I know probably several of you are. Ooh, that's a good one. I would say that's where you start to blend some of the qualitative data with quantitative data. So a lot of, you know, let's just say industry interviews and go out and try and, you know, whether it's a, some sort of community group uh, with people from your industry or an industry group uh, trying to get interviews. And there's easy ways that you can incentivize people to, you know, give you 30 minutes of their time to pick their brain for, you know, some little gift. You'd be very surprised how many of those people are willing to help you. And I think trying to use interviews as a way to at least get to a hypothesis. And then the big thing for us is, you know, we're all about testing. So once you have that hypothesis in place and you get, you know, enough data, then you can start to test it and refine it like we do. Yeah. The other thing too is like oftentimes when you're first starting out, it's a sales driven company, let's say. Like demand is driven through sales 100%, oftentimes. Marketer's not hired yet, just starting out, hire a couple salespeople. Talk to those people. They've had conversations. They know which ones went well. They know which ones didn't go well. They'll have a good starting point for you. You know what I mean? On that ICP. Um, if they've had more than 20 meetings, you know what I mean? They'll have a good, like a decent, at least starting point. So talk to them too. And also when you don't know the ICP yet through data, when you build that first targeted list, go back to sales and just run it by them. Hey, how does this feel? How does this, you know, does this feel like the kinds of, if you had leads from this profile, would you be happy about that? Um, and then, you know, that's just when you don't have data. And then as you start to get data, then of course you're using the data to refine that because there's no, what does Lily say? There's no emotion in data. This is true. Um, and so you let the, da the data make the decisions after that. Uh, so there was one thing that you mentioned and you, we probably spent all of 10 seconds talking about it, but I think it's so critical. It's showing sales who you're targeting and getting <laughs> a, you know, a head nod and thumbs up that yes, for now, this looks good only to then, you know, agree that you're going to refine it as you get more data, but you need their sign off uh, so that you're spending money on the right people to start. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just another good, it's a good sales and marketing alignment exercise. You know what I mean? Because it's like, imagine if you didn't do it, 
you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you're sending leads and they're complaining. You have no leg to stand on really. You know, if you haven't really vetted it with sales and you just like, here's our target list, start sending over leads. They come back. They're like, these aren't good. You can't say, well, I, we talked about it. You'd be like, you're just, you're kind of caught. You're just like, oh shit, I actually didn't vet it with you. So don't make that mistake. That's a, a I've done That's how you stay stuck on the, hey, sales isn't doing anything with the leads that I'm generating, that yeah. wheel. Uh, <laughs> and it's very hard to get off unless you do it. Yep, exactly. Um, what else? Uh, I have an idea. And if you couldn't tell, it's been a long week for us. We've had a whole lot going on. So we're pretty, uh, we're pumped about what's to come uh, in the next couple of weeks here. But uh, we did not do our, our planning homework, but we're still pretty good on this topic. Uh, I would say testing uh, and refining it over time, because I think yeah. a perfect example would be what we just went through over the last, what, probably month or so uh, with some of uh, our head of RevOps analysis and yeah. how we refine that ICP. So uh, I worked on it, but I wasn't in those conversations. So you tell me how that got started. Yeah. So um, it was really, you know, when we first started, and this is usually what you do, you sell to the companies that you sell best to. You know what I mean? And usually what that means is fast sales cycle, decent ASP, you know, they just, it feels right. It, it glides through. Um, conversion rates are high, blah, blah, blah. And so, but that often isn't, you're, oftentimes that's not a one-to-one -one with your best customers, right? And so then you start to get data and this is exactly what we went through. We first started selling to like, now of course they were B2B companies. So we weren't like trying to sell to B2C, you know, like we weren't way off, but it was just like, you know. So the end goal is not just acquiring new logos. It's acquiring new logos and keeping them and getting them to renew uh, and hopefully renew at larger amounts. So what we were looking at was what were the characteristics of the companies that renewed consistently and then renewed at even larger amounts. And what we tried to do was break it out into what, like three profiles, like a kind of a, a best fit profile, uh, a good fit profile, uh, meh profile, yes, obviously not the real names. And then, uh, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks profile. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for it. See, you can see Mark and I are a good team. Uh, my train of thought, he just picks it right up. So no, that's exactly right. So we were selling to who we sold best to. And then, you know, we started seeing some churn and we're like, oh man, this is churn. This is not good. And so we dug into the churn really. And we started to realize like, what are the accounts that are churning? And that's really where we started to refine that ICP into those four buckets that you talked about. And it made sense too. Like it always helps if when you redo the ICP, it actually just makes sense. Because if you did redo the ICP and it was all of a sudden like, dramatically different, for, you'd have to question it a little bit. But this one was like, you'd look at it and you're like, well, yeah. You know what I mean? You're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. And so that's always nice when you can like get that gut check of like, okay, it's reasonable, like the the, the, the street smarts test. Um, and so then we just started refocusing our, our budgets, our demand campaigns. Um, we didn't do it all at once. You know what I mean? We're kind of slowly making the move because we just, we just want to like, you know, make sure that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot. But we're going up market by making that change. You know what I mean? We were basically that ICP change for us was eliminating the smallest companies is what it really ended up becoming. Um, and then also going up in terms of our required monthly ad spend, because we saw like the, the requirement we started with was too low where customers were actually not being able to test enough to make the changes that the platform is good at making. And so we were like, oh, that's not good. So, um, so we'll see how it goes. You know, we'll maybe touch on it on a future episode because we literally just started. Um, <laughs> and the last thing I'll add before we get to questions is when we're looking at those tiers now, then we can start to see 
how should we prioritize our time, our you know, activities and programs that we're running, and then more importantly, spend against those different tiers. It's not to say that we should only spend on that, you know, best fit tier. We're going to be spending a decent chunk of our budget there, but we still want to make sure that the good fit accounts and the, you know, maybe even met accounts uh, are still, you know, on the receiving end of our campaigns. Yeah. And what was nice about the way we segmented it is we did it in a way where we could still market to the meh, but we, what we did is we just added additional qualification to it, which is, so that's like, it kind of balances it out. So I love that approach because now we have the campaign separated by tiers and we're like, oh, the C tier. Yeah, the C tier. Let's actually, for, like, they got to be spending up here, really, because we know the company size is pretty small and stuff. So they got to be kind of a unicorn, really, to make it through. And so that's another thing you could do, start segmenting by those tiers. And then you can actually ask different qualifying questions, you know. Um, uh, to we should see in. if Sam is cool with those uh, tier names, too. I think they're going to stick, so we'll see. <laughs> I like it. Uh, cool. Uh, sweet. Question time? Let's do it. So I think we kind of answered the second question uh, already. So how do you refine your audience? So we may have to uh, look at it. The, let's see. There's a couple more. So I think the first one, and we come up with this a lot, audience size. Does it mm. matter? How big is too big of an audience? How small is too small of an audience? Like, yep. Yep. Give us the full rundown. I don't know, but like, <laughs> I love large audiences. You know what I mean? Because like, especially with combo ads, um, and I, I'll, I won't make that the main example, but it all depends. You know what I mean? Like the reality is the larger your audience, the more opportunities and in inventory you have. So like your costs will look lower, but that's the vanity metric cost, right? Like your cost per click, maybe cost per lead, doesn't really say anything about the quality of that lead. Um, and you don't really see that, you know, until you get down into, well, did that lead turn into an opportunity? Did that opportunity turn into, you know, revenue? And so, um, <laughs> yeah, there we go again. Take it away, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think what I look at is as long as you're really solid uh, preferably using data or have a really good hypothesis on the accounts. I'm cool with widening your audience a little bit. And I say that because, you know, let's use like all the stuff that we're talking about metadata as the example. Uh, we have a really good understanding of which titles are uh, the power users. I hate that term, but everybody gets it. And then usually the person who's also signing off on metadata, but there are also many other people on marketing teams that either work with the you know people who are in metadata from a ad copy perspective from a creative perspective from a content perspective you name it and there really is no harm in getting them uh, aware and excited about metadata so yep. as long as you are laser focused on the companies themselves i'm okay with widening it a little bit to make sure that other people on the marketing team are are seeing what we're putting out there yeah, and I think, again, it's it's a difference between what kind of ads are you running. You know what I mean? So if you're running a really low funnel trying to get demos, then that might be one where you're like, okay, I'm going to keep that tight sure. to the titles, yeah, For sure. the VPs yep. and the directors. But then you're right. In the sponsored content, the other stuff you're doing, you want it to be broad because you don't – also the VPs and those guys, they're thinking about 800 things across all the disciplines yep. where like if you get right into somebody who would be a user, that's going to speak to them more. And then also they can start to like – Oh, have you heard about metadata? I've oh, heard about, oh, interesting. And they start to have conversations and stuff. So it really is 
like part of your campaign strategy, I think, is like, okay, who are you targeting and how broad or narrow are you going based on the campaign you're trying to run and what the outcomes are trying, you know, what outcomes you're trying to drive. Um, Adia, cool. So we are just at time. Uh, our brains are fried and we'll tell. tell you why right now. <laughs> we have been working on, we're really excited about this, a strategic narrative for the first time for metadata. So it's something that we are in the very early stages of working on. We 100% are going to be recording a, an episode and I think it might be a pretty cool episode uh, when we talk about that. We may have a special guest. Um, <laughs> so brains are fried, but for good reason. We're looking forward to the next episode of this. Make sure to hit us up on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, make sure to send us any questions or topic ideas you have. And uh, we'll see you next time at Demand Gen U. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.